So, fan of red and white things, let me show you this t-shirt I got. This is not a really good audio gag, but here we go. Oh, that is a really, that's a great uh, St. John's University t-shirt with a silhouette of John Gallardi supporting the legacy. So, um, you know, St. John's, get it out there, raising some funds for, for their program through the sale of uh, wonderful looking t-shirts. Yes, and also doing some other fundraising on top of that. I graciously accepted the t-shirt. I also said that, uh, you know, if it was something that was like specifically a Gallardi fund or, you know, to, I don't know, create a statue or something like that, which is like the thing he would probably hate the most would be having a statue of him on campus. Um, if it had been something like that, I would have donated, but this is just like general Johnny football fundraising funds. And I said, you know, just because of the whole journalistic integrity thing, I was not going to donate. They still gave me a shirt, which is nice. Very lovely. And I have to break up that story because I have to go to the front door and get one of the salads that we ordered for this week did not come in the box and the guy has come back to get it. So I will be right back. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman and Greg Thomas. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, the weekly podcast about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to episode number 285, where we remind you that there's a big distance between the top five and the top 20. This is your podcast for September 13th of 2021. I'm Pat Coleman. I'm the editor and publisher of D3Football.com since 1999. Nine times. And I'm Greg Thomas. I am the Around the Nation columnist since 2021. But spring of 2021, so it's your second season. I got a little bit of work in in the spring, it's true. And I feel like it's paying off for me. Uh, this week, Pat, I'm inspired. The North Central Cardinals have inspired me. I'm all about taking care of business. And this is a business trip, this podcast for me. Oh, well, I need to worry about my business trip coming up next week, uh, which is still not 100% locked in, but most likely going to happen so much so that we'll, we'll talk about it in like, you know, 30 minutes or so. Uh, you know, business trips, obviously, right? It's a, uh, um, that's a cliche. I, I have begun to notice, Greg, that you seem to... Uh, lead each of these podcasts with your twist on a coach's cliche. I know you're probably just taking it one show at a time, but that's what it sounds like to me. It is. And it's, it's really the only way to do it is to take it one podcast at a time. Um, you can only go, I already used this one. You can only go one to know uh, this week for the podcast. But yes, I didn't, I didn't announce that bit, but you caught on to it. So great. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to uh, pull open the curtain and uh, show everybody how the sausage is made on your half of the podcast. Uh, but of course, we're coming off of a week two in which, uh, well, for example, North Central went 1-0. For the first time since December 20th of 2019, uh, North Central took the field and they came away uh, <laughs> massively victorious. I don't know if there's a, a good enough term to describe um, because... You know, I was out of pocket for a little bit on Saturday evening, and then when I came back into our Slack channel, it was, I think, it was literally like 44 to nothing or something like that. How did North Central look against Aurora? You know, it's hard to see how North Central could have looked better, Pat. Um, if you pressed pause on this team as they were dominating 
UWW in the 2019 Stag Bowl, walked away for two years, and then pressed play. That's exactly what you saw from North Central on Saturday night. The same great athletes, the same intensity, the same level of execution in all phases, and the same dominance that we saw from the national champions in the 2019 playoffs. For me, the headline isn't what they did on offense. I think we knew that this offense would be great with really all but Brock Rutter returning. It's what they did on defense that stood out to me. They limited this Aurora offense led by our first team preseason All-American quarterback to just one single scoring drive of five yards. We won't see anybody lock down Aurora like that again this season. Um, If any of the other title contenders were maybe hoping that North Central's 2019 was lightning in a bottle, uh, forget it. The Cardinals have the goods and they looked like a championship level team on Saturday night. Yeah, it's a, it's really impressive. Um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later about what's facing North Central, obviously coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, but they've got a guy at quarterback. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later too. But there's a guy who, you know, started off his career uh, last year playing baseball in the spring. He is a D3Baseball.com all-region pick. I'm super excited. To, whenever we can cross-promote those guys uh, that are, uh, you know, that are, are key guys in more than one sport because that's what Division Three is all about. It is. And before we before we move away from North Central being uh, just great on Saturday night, I do want to make one quick note on Aurora. And I don't think people are wrong about Aurora or where they had been ranked or if they even should be ranked. Uh, but Aurora can be a really good Division three football team. And I think they are. And North Central can also be in that tier of teams that make other good teams look really average. And I think that's what happened on Saturday night is North Central legitimately great. Aurora, pretty good. They're going to have a good season, and I we'll see them, I think, in November. One interesting thing in the poll this week, and we saw St. John's slip a spot from six to seven, and I have to think almost all of that has to be directly attributed to the comparative score and comparative results of, of their game against Aurora compared to North Central's game against Aurora. Yes, and that I'm 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 part of that slide. Uh, St. John's slid down, I think, one spot on my ballot this week um same and that's same for me. you know that's that's an interesting little intersection of results that you know right now we only have one or two games to look at and so you can't separate those and you know aurora and st john's are gonna move a little bit back and forth uh, throughout the season so other big game of course on saturday i caught a little bit more of this one um you know when uh you know you tune into that whitewater game against salisbury or the whitewater salisbury game or the Salisbury Whitewater game, depending on your persuasion. Um, and it's pretty close, you know, into the third quarter or so on the scoreboard. But I'm hearing, you know, people are saying it did not look like that in real life if you were actually watching the game. Yeah, so from from my observation, Salisbury really had a tough time getting their offense untracked against the Warhawks. Uh, the Seagulls had one sustained drive in the first half that ended on downs inside the Whitewater 10-yard line. Um, early in the game, maybe you get some points there. Uh, I believe it was scoreless at the time. They could have had a 3-0 lead if they take a field goal. Um, but I think Sherm Woods knows that field goals aren't going to win that game against Whitewater. You know, Salisbury's defense did do a really great job keeping Whitewater off the board for a quarter and a half uh, once they made a fourth down stop of their own in a goal-to-go situation. But ultimately, this Whitewater uh, team has too many weapons. Ryan Wisniewski returned this week and he got loose for a couple of long touchdowns and Salisbury's offense just isn't built to come from behind. 
Um, overall, Salisbury in this game rushed 30 times for 122 yards. And when those are Salisbury's rushing stats, they're not having a good time. Um, when Salisbury is successful, they're usually rushing the ball for 50 times or more in a game. And they're rushing for 300 or 400 yards. And Whitewater just never let them get going and get anything going um, offensively. There was a, a good amount of discussion about Wisniewski being on the sidelines in street clothes against Carthage in week one for Whitewater. Um, obviously, seeing him back out on the field makes that a, a significantly different team. Max Mailer, four touchdown passes. Uh, I look forward to talking about Whitewater later in the podcast. I keep getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. Week three looks awesome. It's It's true. This edition of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is made possible by people like you, especially if you are one of the people sponsoring us on Patreon. Patreon's a platform where uh, people who make content, people that do creative things, uh, people that do projects such as this, such as D3Sports.com, the whole thing, not just the podcast, are able to you know, kind of tap people for small donations, small regular donations on a monthly basis. So, you know, people can... Well, you can, um, you can donate as little as a dollar. You can donate as little as $3 is kind of the base level we have people set up at. And you get some bonus content from us. Uh, Greg and I might drop a bonus podcast into your feed. Last week, we really broke down in some minute detail the cluster that is the top five of the D3Football.com top 25 poll. It's even more clustery right now. For sure. Uh, but those are the sorts of things that, you know, are extras that you get. But also, you're just helping make this stuff happen. It's not just uh, making this podcast happen. It's making all of D3Sports.com happen. Because, Greg, as you and I have talked before, and if people are tuning into this podcast for the first time, that seems that's something I will probably say every week for a few weeks, you may not know that uh, about a year ago, we were in danger of not being able to pay our most important bills, the things that keep the uh, servers running and that sort of thing. People made donations, and that was super helpful, and we're very thankful to them. We are, yes. The, our Patreon subscribers really, really helped keep the, keep the lights on here at d3sports.com, and now we're back into football season, full swing. We've got side running, stories, features, uh, extra content on, on Patreon itself. And, you know, tell your friends to help us out. Subscribe. Many different levels, many different ways to support. All of it is very much appreciated. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash d3sports. A couple of other big things, of course, in week two. Uh, we're just, just going to touch on two more, obviously, uh, top 25 games that resulted in upsets. Um, Gustavus Adolphus, yeah, we talked about this game against Wartburg. It turned out to be exactly as advertised if you divide the score by two and then uh the Ithaca Brockport game maybe less surprising because Ithaca was already receiving votes and that sort of thing and you know that sort of thing but let's start with uh Gustavus and Warper because that was a uh a, a game that you know I think we had varying uh predictions that no, none of them quite bore out no, it was interesting to see uh, Gustavus Adolphus in week one, obviously scored 80 points and we talked about it and we had a little bit of fun with that in quick hits this week as well. Um, this game, a little more traditional, a little in terms of score and Gustavus knocked off a pretty respectable Warburg team 27 to 18 at home. This win for Gustavus, you know, maybe 
maybe we can put to bed a little bit some of the where's where is the quality in the Mayak um, without St. Thomas. Um, this is a really nice win for Gustavus. I think it's their first win over a ranked team since 2015 Concordia Moorhead. They're set up now to they've got a ranked win. They're set up now to go into Mayak play and see what they can do against the Johnnies and Bethel and the rest of the Mayak. So Gustavus kind of smack in the middle of the others receiving votes. They receive, and I'm not going to, I'm specifically not going to count, but uh, about the 35th most votes or something along those lines in our poll. And I think people are just kind of waiting to see, okay, well, that's cool. That's good. Um, now I need you to, I need to see you be able to do it against, you know, one of the, one of the key MIAC teams. Right. And so for Gustavus, those games are going to come up in week five when they go to Bethel and then they're going to host St. John's on October 23rd. So, you know, I mean, Gustavus has been at that level in the past where, you know, they've been four and four, four and four in the league so many times. And they broke through and had a couple of five and threes. Um, you know, when they slipped ahead of Concordia and they were behind perennially St. John, St. Thomas, Bethel in that order, right? That is the echelon that Gustavus has been in that they are trying to work their way up from. Yeah. So you can look through Gustavus's year over year record and they're always in that six and four or seven and three range where they beat everybody except St. John's, St. Thomas, Bethel. And sometimes Concordia, you know, and now, you know, they might, they've got Michael Veldman, a uh, super senior quarterback who, you know, has a chance here to maybe move Gustavus into that next echelon uh, this year. And how about this Ithaca Brockport game? I think if you had, I, I, I know I picked something else in quick hits as most likely to be upset in my mind, Ithaca over Brockport isn't an upset, although obviously in the mind of the poll, it certainly was. I don't think it was on my ballot, though. Yeah, the Quick Hits crew was all over this game. And, you know, it, this wasn't this wasn't the prettiest game by any means. Uh, Ithaca had seven first downs in this game, but they turned over Brockport six times and Brockport just could not ever get anything going offensively. Ithaca. Uh, they had a pick six in the game, uh, which stretched out the lead uh, and really put Brockport on the back foot there. So, you know, this is a good win for Ithaca uh, going into Brockport. It's a nice win for the Liberty League, which is off to a really nice start, by the way, um, over over an E8 uh, favorite. So Ithaca at 2-0. We touched on some of the other interesting 2-0 teams in our weekly wrap-up that's on the website. You should go to the website and read things that are on the website. Uh, but just a couple of other notable 2-0 teams. Uh, Widener uh, won its two games by an average of six points. Rippon and Shenandoah uh, each uh, have two wins by an average of seven points. And you can see, of course, everybody else who's 2-0 by going to the standings page on D3Football. Game ball. Game ball. Game balls. Game balls. Game balls. It's time for game balls. And my game ball is going to JJ Slack. I don't often give my game ball to a special teamer, but I just had to this time around once I saw what Slack did. Slack recovered a fumbled punt. He blocked a punt that he also recovered for a touchdown, blocked an extra point, and made a handful of special teams tackles in Southwestern's 34-27 win at Bellhaven. Here's what that blocked punt sounded like from the Southwestern broadcast. The punt is blocked and is caught by J.J. Slack for a touchdown, Pirates! 
Another great special teams play by the Pirates. And they capitalize to the tune of a touchdown. Well, Bellhaven's punter is standing inside his own five. And Slack basically comes through untouched through the left side of the line. Blocks the punt literally 30 feet straight up in the air. Catches it on the fly in the end zone. Um, this is important because this win is the first one for Southwestern since 2019. Now, obviously, you could say that about a lot of teams, but uh, you know the ASC had a full season this past spring. The Pirates went 0-5, and then they lost at Cal Lutheran last week. So this is the first win after a not insignificant number of losses in a row for Southwestern, and that's why J.J. Slack gets my game ball. And my game ball is going to go to Birmingham Southern running back Robert Schuford. Schuford rushed 28 times for 213 yards and a career-high four touchdowns in a 48-9 win at Huntingdon. Schuford has found the end zone seven times in his first two games, and as long as he stays on the field, Birmingham Southern is going to be among the favorites in the very competitive SAA. Is anyone going to go make comparative scores now between Birmingham Southern and UW Oshkosh with the common opponent of Huntingdon? Yeah? be interesting right so birmingham southern and barry play much much later and they have a progressive like they go hendrix center barry or something like that they really work their way through up the pecking order in that on that schedule venturing a little further afield for the off the beaten path highlight we find ourselves in lyle illinois where benedictine led 21 to 7 in the second half and 24 to 14 before carroll put together three long touchdown drives to take the lead and put the game away 35-24. So Benedictine played this spring, and so did the CCIW, but Carroll did not. So this was the first game since 2019 for the Pioneers, and, you know, maybe they started a little slowly, but they certainly finished well. Carroll's last touchdown came with six and a half minutes left, so it, they needed the defense to finish it off, and the defense did, as Wyatt Skipper intercepted a pass with 431 left in Carroll territory, and Jordan Gawk recovered a fumble near midfield with a buck 18 left to seal the win. I'm going to Beverly, Massachusetts for my highlight where Endicott hosted WPI on Friday night. WPI held a 21-0 lead with 8.50 left in the third quarter, and then the goals went to work. Endicott running back Anthony Caginelli opened Endicott's scoring with a one-yard touchdown run, and he set up the game-winning score with a 36-yard scamper with less than one minute to play in the game. Here's how that whole comeback sounded from Endicott's broadcast. They toss it to Bracamonte. Bracamonte's looking to throw. Bracamonte is man downfield. It's caught by Gordon into the end zone. Ingranado. Baxter Ingrando on the far side right. Renji looking to throw. Downfield. He's got Aylward in the end zone. He's caught it. Touchdown goals. With one second left in the second quarter, he's looking to throw here again on second down. Good protection. Again, deep downfield. And it's intercepted. The goal's taken away. Mike Lefebvre has got it. He's looking to create some room, gets around his initial defender, and he drags his tackler down as the Endicott will take over off the pick at their own 35-yard line with 2.13 left to go. Ahern's both on the right side. It's Kenny now in the backfield to Marenji's right. They give it to Kenny. Kenny trying to slip through. Kenny, the pile being pushed, and he's into the end zone! John Kenny kept the feet moving. Endicott's defense forced two turnovers in the fourth quarter and did not allow WPI a single yard of offense in that final period until the game's final play. Endicott will continue their tour of the new Mac next weekend when they visit your alma mater in the nation's capital. You know, I think I'm auditioning for things to replace the Guru Bowl since uh, Randolph Macon's uh, half of the Guru Bowl has left the building. Um, do we know anybody who's an Endicott grad? 
Or is Catholic ever going to play Wabash, I guess, would be the other thing. It's a, that's a good red and white battle also. It would be. That would be a fun that would be a fun experience trip for Wabash to do maybe a home and home with uh, Catholic. I think anybody who gets an opportunity to take a Division three team of any kind to Washington, D.C. will probably get a good educational experience out of it. And and perhaps we should not discuss any further the Guru Bowl from this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, that is a uh, whoo. Yikes. Yes, that did not go well. I really thought that, you know, um, Catholic handing it to McDaniel in week one at least gave some suggestion that they might be okay. We're going to play comparative scores there too, I'm sure. Randolph Macon may may have heard some folks uh, critical of their week one result against Dickinson, and they they came out uh, quite a bit sharper uh, this past weekend. My most surprising result from Saturday has to be Muskingum defeating Ohio Northern 33-31. I start with that because it's the first time that the Muskies had beaten the polar bears since 2011. And and let's be honest, right? In real life, you know a polar bear is going to be all over a muskie or, you know, just about any fish, really. Uh, since 2011, ONU has won these meetings by an average score of 34-9. to Ohio Northern had taken the lead early in the fourth quarter before the Muskies came up with a couple of key plays. And here's coach Eric Yader to talk about them at Tristan Howell interception and a Hunter Albers field goal. Tristan, man, when we needed a play, he made the play for us. Defensively, we were getting after him all day. They, they, you know, they made a couple of nice plays, right? You know, credit to them. All right. But when we really needed a play, Tristan came up with it and set us up. Yeah. And uh, your kicker, Hunter Albers, he's been phenomenal all year, been really consistent. The only miss was a block here yeah. earlier in this game. Talk to me about the confidence you had in him to, to go out and win the game for you guys. Yeah, no question. We had complete confidence in Hunter. I mean, and that's why, you know, we, we played to set it up in the middle right on that last one. All right, if we didn't have confidence in him, we, we were thrown for the end zone. So set it up. Protection was great on that one. Doug, you know, had a you know, great hold, great snap by Gavin, and, and Hunter knocked it through. So it was awesome. It's tempting to say things are looking up, at least a little bit at Muskingum, right? They're building a new on-campus stadium. Uh, this year they're playing at the local high school while that stadium is built. And Yader is 10-15 and 15 in three-plus seasons as head coach. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but under the previous coach, there were a lot of seasons with two wins or fewer. So... It's at least possible to think that Muskingum is on the way up. Indeed. And my most surprising result are actually a collection of results. Uh, when we last ranked Division III's conferences, the New Jersey Athletic Conference checked in at number 10, and they have historically been one of the division's better conferences. On Saturday, all seven NJAC teams were in action, and all seven NJAC teams were defeated. Adding to the surprise of this is that uh, of those seven games, only one, Christopher Newport's overtime loss at Averett, was competitive. Uh, really, really a poor, poor Saturday for the NJAC. NJAC, two weeks of play. 2-12 and 12 overall. Super surprised by Springfield just taking it to Rowan, averaging 8.5 yards per rush. And then compare that to the WIAC, which, uh, you know, is a combined 14-2 and two through two weeks. They've got a number of wins against scholarship programs, and the only two losses are to Bethel, which is in the top 25, and East Texas Baptist. So the WIAC is basically always the top conference when we do conference rankings, and there's, you know, no real reason to think differently right now. That's not my stat. Also, not going to be my stat. Not my stat. That may be the most incredible stat. My stat of the week is to try to break down the offensive futility 
on the part of Montclair State on Saturday. If, if you're not familiar, Montclair State is a member of the NJAC, oddly enough. The Redhawks could not get anything done against the stout front of uh, Delaware Valley's defense, garnering just 29 yards of total offense as DelVal won 26-2. Montclair got its points early in the first quarter when a bad snap on a DelVal punt attempt went out the back of the end zone. What I'm going to focus on is the distinct lack of first downs on the part of Montclair. Redhawks had just three of them on the day. Two of those came in the first quarter. And frankly, they just weren't in makeable third down situations. Montclair was third and long all day long, averaging third and nine in the first quarter, third and nine in the second, third and seven in the third, and third and 11 in the fourth quarter. DelVal racked up nine tackles for loss on the afternoon, three of them from Michael Nobile and two from Blaine Netterman. Uh, the day's other 26-2 game, yeah, when do you ever have a 26-2 game, let alone two of them? Everything happens in Division Three. Uh, that game was only slightly more interesting as Concordia Chicago held Finlandia to 10 first downs and 184 yards of total offense. You know, I looked that up too. 26 to 2 is not a score that has ever happened in the NFL. It happened twice in Division Three on Saturday. Football has three phases, and while it was feast or famine for Alma's offense on Saturday against Manchester, the Scots' return game was outstanding. Scots had three returns for touchdowns in this game, including kickoff returns of 198 yards by junior wide receiver Devin Frenchko. On a day when Alma's offense could only convert on one of 14 third down chances and gain only a total of 267 yards, Frenchko and the special teams unit was there to push Alma to a 47-23 victory and move to 2-0 on the season. And Pat, those very, uh, very coveted, spots on the special teams unit for our d3football.com team of the week really really competitive this week right i mean we have just basically named a guy who returned two kickoffs for a touchdown um if you're a close listener to the podcast you know that uh we value punt returns for touchdowns ever so slightly more than kickoff returns for touchdowns because we generally think they're more difficult they're certainly more rare so it basically is going to take either three kickoff returns for a touchdown or two punt returns for a touchdown to beat these two kickoff returns and then yeah the special teams guy the guy who blocks the kicks right you're gonna have to you're gonna have to do really well to beat jj slack and not to devalue First downs, because I just spent my whole stat of the week talking about first downs, obviously. But, uh, you know, you just talked about uh, Alma only being able to convert on one of 14 third downs. Springfield in that game against Rowan, I think they only had like six fourth down or six third down opportunities. They were four for six on third down because they kept converting first and second down. Oh, in that game, Rowan converted a bunch of third downs. And then the ones that they didn't get, they went four for six on fourth down conversions. And they still were not able to hang with Springfield. I just, you know, to all those people, and we know who you are out there who focus on that uh, that one narrow category, this is one of the many ways in which just looking at first downs is a little misleading. It is. One bonus stat from Alma Manchester. Quarterback Trent Devereaux for Alma, three for nine on the day, all three touchdown passes. That's making it count. Your categories have become tiresome. Now's the time on Sprockets where we dance. <laughs> Now is the time of the podcast where we go to Twitter. We light up the bat signal. Yeah, we'll keep that in. We light up the bat signal when we're uh, about to head into the uh, virtual podcasting studio. Me, outside of Minneapolis. Greg, outside of Los Angeles. We put out the call. And Ray Mundo, at Mickey Pearson, 2 E's, 20, responds, 
How are the Warhawks number two with zero number one votes while four other schools have number one votes? This is ridiculous. No one has a better victory all year. Nobody. Lots of exclamation points. All the words are spelled correctly, which is not to make fun of Raimundo. I just know that when people get angry, I see ridiculous spelled wrong all the time. You know, how does... So we'll start with how do the Warhawks not have any number one votes? And of course, they had one last week and now they no longer do for whatever reason. That seemed a little weird, but long story short, right now, nobody thinks that the Warhawks are the best team in Division Three football. That's how you explain how they don't have any number one votes. Well, and, I, and to think here's why, right? So like the last time we saw the Warhawks play in the national championship game, they were kind of had their doors blown off, right? So, you know, you can think that Mary Harden Baylor is the best team. They had a really good spring. They have basically everybody back. Mary Harden Baylor is always good. You can think that uh, North Central is the best team. They are defending national champs. Uh, they handed it to Whitewater last time around. Uh, so that's why you could uh, easily justify the four people who give North Central a number one vote. Four people are voting Mount Union number one. I mean, Mount Union, you know, didn't beat North Central last time around, but North uh, Mount Union has. I keep saying umpteen. It's 13 national championships, right? I think it's 13 Division Three football national champions. It's pretty, uh, pretty reasonable to suggest that they're probably that good right now. And then Wheaton beat North Central last year. Wheaton is the last team to beat North Central, and North Central beat Whitewater. So by that, you know, uh, uh, what's the, the transitive property of wins and losses, you could think that Wheaton could be the best team in Division Three football. And obviously, people could think that Whitewater is the best team. Also, they're just not currently any of the 25 people on our panel that's true and so how so how does whitewater end up number two without any number one votes and people around them have number one votes and i i haven't seen the distribution i don't know but probably the voters probably have uh, a much tighter uh, window around where whitewater is located they're probably mostly number two mostly number three and you might get yeah. a you're going to see a larger spread with uh umhb mount union North Central and Wheaton, where those are floating probably anywhere between uh, one and five, where Whitewater is probably just two or three. One thing to note, which was not noted in this person's complaint, was that Whitewater moved from number three to number two this week. So it's not like people aren't paying attention. Also, you always got to look at the points uh, on the poll. We've got three schools, Whitewater, Mountain Union and North Central, that are literally four points apart uh that is packed super super tightly so when you're complaining about them right now just know that seven days from now it's going to be different that north central wheaton thing that game that we're still going to talk about a little bit later is uh, is going to happen that's going to affect votes uh this is a snapshot of the moment so I appreciate that people get worked up about it because that means that people are paying attention to our poll. And currently we're the only one out there, although the coaches poll will start up, I presume, after uh, maybe even after this week's games. I don't remember. They usually wait a week or two. Um, so maybe you'll get a different opinion that you like from someone else, but that doesn't mean that it's right. Yeah. So if you like to ask us questions, you can do so at any time by using the D3FB hashtag. You can at me at D3Football. You can at Greg at Wally Wabash. We'll be glad to um, you know, occasionally deliver the SmackDown. If you're going to come at us with attitude, I am not going to hold back. Uh, no, I probably will hold back. Now we move ahead to further action, and it's time for games to watch. And my goal right now is to watch two games, so I'm going to talk a little bit about both of them. I don't know if you're aware, because I've been talking about these games 
you know, five seconds at a time for about the last half hour or so. Um, these games used to be, uh, you know, about a 90 minute drive apart and have kickoffs that were about seven hours apart. Uh, one of those game times got moved. So maybe I'm not going to be able to stay for post game interviews, uh, for that afternoon kickoff. Um, so, you know, I'm sure now which manufactured doubleheader I'm talking about. It's number 25 Barry at number two UW Whitewater in the afternoon game. And then number four North Central at number five Wheaton in the evening. Uh, this very tightly packed poll, like I mentioned, with those uh, numbers two to four separated so closely. Number five, just 34 points further away. You know, we're going to get some sussing out. In the past, we've called it Clarity. Clarity was part of the uh, podcast drinking game. We hope you're not doing that because most of you are listening to this at like nine o'clock on Monday morning as you're uh, cutting up video. I get it. But we've talked a couple of times recently about how big the gap is between the top five team and a team in the 20s. And I suspect we're going to see that in the first of those two games. But I'm just super pleased to see Barry taking its extra non-conference game and going out and scheduling more aggressively. Right. Austin College left the SAA. Everybody had a new non-conference game to fill in. Barry is playing UW-Whitewater. I love it. Uh, and then at night, of course, we have the little brass bell game that's at Wheaton on Saturday evening. Wheaton being the last team to beat North Central, as I've already said, in that same game in 2019. So we've got, and I'm going to try this term out, see how it goes. Second year freshman. We'll try that. Second year freshman Luke Lane looked pretty good at quarterback for North Central against Aurora on Saturday evening. But that front four, that front seven for Wheaton is a big step up for this young man's second game. So I'm looking forward to both of those games. Although maybe I'm not necessarily looking forward to all the driving. No, second year freshman. It's like, I feel like you're naming Rambo movies like that nomenclature for sequels got really weird and confusing. I didn't know which, which version of Rambo I was watching. First blood 23. Uh, the game I, I will be watching this week. In addition to those top 25 matchups, Pat talked about, uh, I will be watching Linfield at Redlands. Linfield's last trip down to Ted Runner Stadium in September 2019 ended with a 26-17 defeat to the Bulldogs. Redlands defensive front bullied a pretty green Linfield defensive line in that game to keep Wyatt Smith from establishing any kind of rhythm or allowing Linfield to establish any kind of run game to support Smith. Uh, Linfield, in fact, rushed for negative yards in that contest. That Linfield offensive front has a bit more seasoning this time around. Wyatt Smith is two years older, and he will be among the Gallardi Trophy favorites this season. And I don't expect that Redlands will be able to have as much success penetrating the Wildcat backfield this time around. I'm pretty high on this edition of Linfield football. I actually have them ranked number six on my on my top 25 ballot. Um, this is probably the best Linfield squad we've seen since the Sam Riddle teams. And I think these Wildcats have some unfinished business down here in Skyak country. Uh, for Redlands, a win in this game would go a long way towards settling any uneasiness that Bulldog fans might have about the post-Maynard era. And, uh, you know, a win here will let them know that their program is in good hands. I'm going to backtrack even after that, back a couple of sentences. I'm going to ask, what kind of seizing do you think the Linfield offensive front has right now? What kind of seizing are we talking about? Montreal. It's it's 9.40 at night here, and now I have the urge to go upstairs and, and make a steak. Not that I have a steak, but I have this big tub of Montreal steak seasoning. It's good for just about everything. Ball spinning around and around where it stops. Out of 110 games, it lands on number 57. 
Game number 57 is between Nebraska Wesleyan University and 16th ranked Central, uh, which is good. That's a game we should probably talk about anyway. Uh, that game taking place at Ron and Joyce Skipper Stadium on Saturday and early scheduled to do so. Um, I say that just because, you know, we did have two more games that did not get uh, played this past week. I guess you never know. But seem, things seem to be in pretty good shape there. And Nebraska Wesleyan coming into this game, one of our surprise 2-0 teams, right? They, uh, they with the big win against Eureka, and then held on in the last second as a uh, chip shot Augsburg field goal went wide right. And, you know, Nebraska Wesleyan off to a good start here in what is, what is this, like year six-ish? Since coming back, since coming solely to Division Three and no longer being an, also an NAIA member. Carter Terry on Saturday, 30 of 49 passing for 290 yards. These are names that we'll probably have to uh, pay some more attention to, right? I think that if you have followed Division Three football for a couple years now, you may know some of the names at Central. Blaine Hawkins had another big day on Saturday. Uh, against St. Olaf, where he was uh, 28 to 39 passing for 60, 56 yards. That's in the week one. And then in week two against Kalamazoo, you know, pretty similar, super efficient 15 to 16 passing. They actually had six different players throw passes in that 69 to 13 home win against Kalamazoo. Those are, you know, people that you probably already know about from the central side. And, uh, you know, for Nebraska Wesleyan, some of these names are a little new. And now we need to, of course, we're talking to you a little bit about the game, but also we're going to give this thing a rivalry trophy. And I don't know that this one has one. So in trying to find a suitable trophy or name for this rivalry, I mean, it's not a, you know, it's a rivalry in which, you know, became into existence because Nebraska Wesleyan joined the ARC a handful of years ago and calls to mind a similar manufactured rivalry between Nebraska and Iowa, which uh, happened when Nebraska joined the Big Ten. Uh, and a lot of people were looking at it back then and saying, we should call that one, the big one, the Missouri River rivalry. Well, that is not what they called that game. But the Missouri River is the river that forms a border between Iowa and Nebraska. So we're just going to steal that because it's a really good idea for a rivalry name. And we're just going to take it and apply it right here to Central and Nebraska Wesleyan. What do you think? I like it. This is the Missouri River rivalry. Henceforth, we will always call it this. I have to write that down because I'm not going to remember. Now it's time for On the Spot. On the Spot is that weekly game where we make the other person come up with predictions based on a theme or some sort of kind of gamification thing that's supposed to make this thing fun. It's supposed to make it fun for me. It's supposed to make it fun for you. It's supposed to make it fun for the listeners to this podcast. And Greg, it's my turn to put you on the spot first here in week three. Week three is the week where the NESCAC finally comes out and joins the party. They are here only from week three to week 11, never beyond. And what I am going to ask you to do as I put you on the spot this week, is pick all of the NESCAC games. Pick winners for all five NESCAC games. I Oh, man, I knew you were going to do that, too. You you should have. I'm pretty sure I did this with Keith either uh, 2019 or 2018 because Keith loves him some NESCAC. All right. So we have a full slate of five NESCAC games. It's NESCAC-alicious. It, it really is. 
this cactastic. All right. So for your opening weekend of NESCAC action, I'm going to go with Hamilton over Bowden, Amherst okay. over Amherst over Bates. Amherst looking to bounce back after a tough uh, 2019. I think they're going to get off on the right foot against Bates. Wesleyan over Colby, Trinity over Tufts, and probably your NESCAC game of the week, Middlebury over Williams. Middlebury receiving votes in the top 25. Keith loves him some NESCAC. All right, Hamilton over Bowden, Amherst over Bates, Wesleyan over Colby, Trinity over Tufts, and Middlebury over Williams. Check back next week to find out how he did. All right, Pat, my on the spot is fewer games. I'm going to ask you to give me two teams that are 0-2 currently to win against teams that are 2-0. and Oh, good. I am glad this is on the list, actually, because I have uh, thought about one of these already. And, hmm, I, maybe I want to save that for later. So I'm going to take one of them right now. I mean, I was kind of hoping we would roll a whatever number it is to get the UW-Platteville at Franklin game as our rank, as our random game. You know, for all those people who say that a team with a loss just can't get ranked ahead of an unbeaten team, I present to you the 0-2 UW-Platteville Pioneers at the 2-0 Franklin Grizzlies, and I will take UW-Platteville in that game. So that's one. And then uh, this is uh, just screaming off the page at me where I'm going to take Aurora over Concordia Chicago. Uh, Aurora has played two of the top seven or so teams in the nation, Concordia Chicago. Uh, they've played Beloit and Finlandia. Uh, I'm not going to say where I would rank those two teams. They probably won't, wouldn't both be in the bottom seven in the country, but pretty close. Uh, this is another one of those areas where records can be deceiving and I think that this is probably the easiest uh, game that you've had me pick so far. So I'm taking Aurora over Concordia Chicago, and then I'm taking Platteville over Franklin. Yes, that's why I, I asked for two because I knew that Aurora was low-hanging fruit there. It is, but this other one was top of mind because I'd already uh, I'd already written about it uh, to use it later in this podcast. I just uh, moved it forward a few minutes. Of course, uh, as a spot check on last week's On the Spot Picks, I asked Greg to pick a first-year coach that would uh, pick up his second win as head coach here in Week 2, and he was successful picking Bridgewater and Scott Lem to defeat Southern Virginia. I think they needed to score 17 in a row to do it, but they did win, I believe, 35-17. to 17. I'm not doing any research. I think that's right. Uh, I asked Pat to pick two two-name teams that would win in Week 2, and Pat got Washington and Lee over Suwannee. They, uh, Generals won 52-0. to zero. But he also picked William Patterson, who lost to Fairleigh Dickinson or FDU Florham, 43 to 17. Other possibilities for wins would have been Mary Harden Baylor over ETBU, Randolph Macon over Catholic, which we said we weren't going to talk about anymore, uh, Harden Simmons over Sol Ross State, and uh, maybe a couple of others in there. Every thought of yours is a friend. We have found that these last couple of podcasts have been a little short of an hour, and maybe we should give you ever so slightly more content. Just a little bit. How about a little bit of every thought? Usually the NESCACs are the last teams to get started, but this year it's going to be Gallaudet. The Bison have just seven countable games on their schedule this year, and they're not going to play any of them until week four when they go to Greensboro. 
Um, this Saturday, Wabash will be hosting Allegheny and finally opening their newly renovated Little Giant Stadium. This stadium was originally scheduled to debut in week one of 2020, but the universe had other plans. Uh, it'll be great to see Wabash finally able to host their fans in this new facility. And this is likely going to be the end of the Wabash Allegheny series for the foreseeable future as Allegheny heads off to the pack and friendlier travel logistics next year. There's another game I'm looking forward to in week three, and maybe I'm just going to try to listen to it in the car, and that's Springfield at Union. This is a 4.30 Eastern kickoff, and uh, it fits nicely into that uh, gap of time between the Barry-Whitewater game and the Wheaton North Central game, and you know you have those two and a half hours for that game to get done before the little brass bell game kicks off, and Springfield runs triple option, so you should be set. Oh, are we, t- are we taking bets to see if they if that if they can actually start and complete that game in the time it takes you to drive from Whitewater to Chicago? Oh, I hope it doesn't take me that long to drive from Whitewater to Chicago. I would be uh, I would be really upset. I'm hoping to get like a um, you know hoping to get like a Chicago dog or I don't know some sort of Chicago style food uh, for dinner. Uh, and probably shame eat it in the car on the turnpike uh, on the Dan Ryan or whatever or the tri-state. That's the tri-state, isn't it? I don't know. I forget which uh, I forget which highways I'm taking now. It is. It's- I would I would suggest uh, Italian beef. That's my Chicago go-to. Yeah. Um, but you do you. So like when I go to it's like my grandparents lived in Chicago. My mom grew up in Chicago uh, in the western suburbs uh, well as well specifically. So when I'm out there. I definitely have a number of places that I like to go on a regular basis, including the bagel place that my grandfather took me to when I was like five and still makes really good bagels, by the way. Um, So I know that's where I'm stopping on Sunday morning on the way out. And, um, you know, I'm I'm getting a a Italian beef or pizza at Riggio's, which was my grandpa's favorite place to get pizza. Um, I'm thinking those are the things that are probably on my list. And then stopping at the little... Um, at the little market that uh, my grandmother shopped at with my mom, uh, and I have lots of, uh, I still have, I still have a, a closet full of pasta from when I was out there in October of last year. So uh, it's more things that people don't need to know, uh, but that was okay because there are hopefully lots of things that you did need to know here on this Around the Nation podcast number two hundred eighty-five, released on September thirteenth of twenty twenty-one. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for our continuing coverage throughout the season. You can support production of this podcast and of the entire D3Sports.com family of websites by visiting patreon.com slash D3Sports. But even if you can't afford to support us financially in that manner, you can help us out by telling a friend, classmate, tell the parents at the tailgate, tell a fellow alumnus about this show and about D3Football.com. And you can rate and review us in the various places where people do the rating and the reviewing of podcasts. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. And also you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks as well. You can find those at djmentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks to my co-host, Greg Thomas, and thanks to the originator of Around the Nation on d3football.com, Keith McMillan. I feel like I should probably reword that last sentence. Now I need to end with you, right? Thanks to the originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com, Keith McMillan, and my co-host, Greg Thomas. 
I don't know. What do you think? Either, either works. Yeah, I have to probably rewrite that sentence. You know, basically you just copy and paste those final three paragraphs week after week after week after week. Including this reference to Brett Marhenka from a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Can't say enough about the job he did. There's a... Uh, Brett, I, I don't know if you're listening. Uh, he's the SID at Wheaton these days, but uh, that is a, uh, that's a Brett Marhenka catchphrase. And I know it will come up in the press box, although he has already told me that the press box is really crowded, so maybe I will just be spending more time walking the sidelines on Saturday. I was going to say, we're probably going uh, probably gonna to require some Brett Marhenka assist this week um, as Wheaton likely to be featured uh, a little bit in episode 286. It might come up, but I'm gonna. I'll drive 500 miles, and I'll drive a couple hundred more, just to be the man who's down there with a microphone, there, on the floor. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.